See, there you go, way to go. Get right back into the routine. If this is your first time with us, we do have adults escorting the kids to other adults who will be monitoring them, and we're not just letting them go do what they please. Did everyone get a free banana? No? There's a box of free bananas. I don't know if it's like something we're doing every Wednesday, but we did it this Wednesday. So you're welcome. Put this here. I'm glad to be back to Wednesday nights. I haven't taught Wednesday nights since May of 2014. So, so it's pretty exciting. I just, y'all still had them. I just didn't get to teach them. We had summer and then I went on a sabbatical. So welcome. We're really glad you're here. Um, in previous semesters, we've worked through the Bible and we'll continue to work through the Bible, but we're doing it a little bit different. We began in Genesis. We made our way through Obadiah. And if I think it was Obadiah, I'm not mistaken. Um, does everyone remember the Obadiah study? Yeah, good. So we at least made it through Obadiah. I know that much. Um, but this semester, we're going to be using the majority of our time considering spiritual disciplines. Um, we're going to um, look at details and have to be honest about our lives um, and look at things we're probably all generally not good at. So aren't you excited about the coming days to look at the things we, we fail at so easily? Um, but, but that's what we're going to be doing, and I'll explain it a little more as we go. But before we get started, I just want to pray. So y'all pray with me, and we'll, uh, we'll dive into it. Lord, we love you very much. We humble ourselves before you tonight. I'm, I'm thankful that we get to gather together on a Wednesday night um, and consider your word. I'm thankful how you weave things together to where what we're studying tonight is so in step with where we're at in Hebrews on Sundays. Um, I, I, I hope, Lord, um, that as a product of this study, and we're praying for it before we even start, that the result would not just be head knowledge, would not just be information, but that the result of our time would be closer, people who are closer to you, that we would grow in our relationship with our Lord, that we would treasure that relationship rightly, that we would walk in that relationship rightly. So I've prayed for that in preparation for this study. I pray for clarity now, and I pray that we would be honest with ourselves and honest with you as we look at some things. Lord, we love you very much. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, before I explain why we're looking at spiritual disciplines and what spiritual disciplines are, I'd like to hear from you. What do you think of, what comes to mind when I mention spiritual disciplines? Prayer. Prayer. Gratitude? Nice. I didn't expect that one as one of the first answers. Bible study. I expected prayer and Bible study to be the two that are obvious. Does anything else come to mind? And I asked that confessing that when I first began to look at spiritual disciplines, I thought prayer and Bible study. What else is there? Is there anything else that comes to mind for y'all? Meditation. Patience. Nice. Fasting. Ooh. Oof. Fasting, right? So commonly practiced discipline of fasting. Yes, we're going to engage a bunch of those. Um, in general, 
my question for you as we begin, in general, and don't answer out loud, it'll be awkward, um, do you feel disciplined as a Christian? Just in general. If if we're going to start off on an honest foot, I just want to ask, do you feel disciplined as a Christian? As, As brothers and sisters in Christ, are you sitting there right now feeling pretty well disciplined? And my hope is that some of you are like, yeah, we've made some strides. We've got some things in order. I hope it's not just, I hope there's not a mental train wreck going on right now in this room. I hope that some of you are like, yeah, we, we make, we, we're moving in some things. But my suspicion is that um, we may be very aware of areas that we need help in our disciplines. My suspicion, uh, th- th- some other questions you could ask to see if you're disciplined. Are you restful? Are you rested right now? Are you coming into Bible study undistracted? Are you coming into Bible study feeling like you've had a handle on things and now you are ready to focus on the Word and the Lord? Or is there a general frantic nature to your life? We're going to dig into this a little bit deeper, but part of the reason I've decided to go this direction is that um, I personally struggle with discipline as a Christian. And And I want to say that up front. Because what I feel like we're embarking on this semester is a journey together, <laughs> not to sound like a cheesy uh, corporate gathering. We're on this journey together. We're all in a boat, and we're all equal. Yes, yes, all those things. But I, I struggled preaching through Isaiah because I was preaching through something that seemed so much, so far above what I could wrap my head around, and so far above what I thought I was getting um, as a Christian. Spiritual disciplines are the same thing. Why I've decided to do it for a whole semester, I don't know. I'm hoping it promotes growth and goodness, but I I have not mastered a single thing that we're working on. And I want to confess to you, I feel like a total novice at almost everything that we're going to talk about in the way of discipline. So we're really joining together to go on this journey together because you don't have a guy up here who's going to be telling you about this sort of guru experience that I had in a time of my life for these disciplines. It's not like that at all. In fact, I'm, I've humbled myself before the Lord and just asked that he would allow me to grow in these things and to, to really be honest um, in some of my shortcomings because I think it helps us to all be honest together. So um, the church blessed my family and, and me with a three-month sabbatical from September to December. So from September 1st to December 1st, I was given this bizarre, weird, otherworldly, not normal experience of having no job requirements and no ministry requirements placed on me for three months. I was given this three-month window of having no responsibilities, no having to get to work. I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it because I feel like as I say those things, you're going, I hate you, and I hate you, and I hate you more. Because it's like, I had to go to work. Why didn't you have to go to work? And so I'm telling you, I still feel like it's scandalous. I can't believe that that's part of of the way we operate as a church. What it says in our Constitution and Bylaws is that for every five years of full-time vocational pastoral ministry, there's a three-month sabbatical. And the purpose of the three-month sabbatical is rest and growth. Um, I, I didn't write it, but I'm thankful for whoever did, and, and it's very, very humbling. And so this is a, a very unique time, and during that time, I want y'all to know, because y'all played a big part in that even working, um, there were a lot of people who taught on Wednesday nights, and staff had to step it up, because I wasn't doing anything. And so um, 
And for a control freak, which we'll get to later, um, that can be um, daunting, that kind of rest. Um, so um, I want you all to know that during that time, my family was really, really blessed. As a family, um, we were freed up from normal responsibilities to focus on rest and growth. And I think it's so weird and bizarre, and it was such a blessing. Um, we had a lot of fun. We, we, we really enjoyed our time. But we also had a time for a good amount of observation and introspection. We were able to look at our family and our dynamics and look at others' family dynamics that we just got to see more because we weren't doing other things. And some of what I found troubled me. So I'm starting this with some very honest and troubling things I learned about myself on sabbatical. The first is that even though I had no vocational requirements, that's a fancy way of saying I didn't even have a job, really, I still felt very, very busy. Isn't that weird? Even though I had no vocational requirements, no, no pressing matters that were meeting me every day, no getting to the office at a particular time and staying through a particular time and going home to prepare for the next day in which I would do those things, even though my entire requirement job-wise was lifted and elder-wise, which is another thing above just job stuff, it was all lifted, I still felt very, very busy. It was weird. It troubled me. I'm sitting there looking at Lindsay saying, I'm on sabbatical. What, why does this feel busy? It's very weird. The second thing that I realized was that you can work really hard and still be lazy and undisciplined. Just because you work hard at a job doesn't mean you're a person who's not lazy. I'm not calling you lazy. I'm just offering up the possibility that even though you work hard, you might still be lazy like I struggle with, and you might still be very undisciplined. You may work your tail off and get home and be tired, but that doesn't mean you're not lazy and undisciplined. That's what I found when the job part was taken away, because with the removal of particular responsibilities, I did not naturally default to more prayer. Are, are you surprised by that, that your pastor did not naturally default to more prayer. I did not naturally default to more meditation. I did not naturally default to more spiritual activity. And I did not naturally default to more family worship times. To be honest with you, I defaulted to more recreation and laziness. That, that was what I saw as my default in, in the first weeks of being here and not doing my job. Third that goes with that is that I found that the disciplines and priorities that I did have became far more optional, like Wednesday nights. When I'm teaching on Wednesday nights, oh my goodness, man, the week revolves around it. I'm ramping up to it. I'm praying for you guys. I'm going to the Word. I'm structuring my notes. But oddly enough, when I was on, when I was on sabbatical, Wednesday nights became a bit more optional. Heck, there were times that Sunday mornings were even optional. Where it's like, we're here, but no one knows we're here. For all they know, we're out of town. You want to be out of town? Just because? Just because we can recreate and, and do things like that? And so, even though I didn't have vocational requirements, I still felt busy. Um, I realized that you can work really hard and still be a lazy and undisciplined loser. I realized that... Um, the disciplines and priorities that I did have became far more optional when I began to move in that direction. So you may be thinking at this point, okay, clearly sabbatical is a bad idea. <laughs> clearly, you should never do that again because you're lazy and undisciplined. So, but I do have a fourth observation. 
And my fourth observation is that every single person that I have encountered is struggling with the exact same things. So I get to take all this stuff I had to work through on sabbatical, and now you're going to have to work through it with me. That's what we're doing here. Everyone I talk to, I, I don't know any time where I've said to someone, hey, how's it going? And I hear, oh, man, things are great. Things are well-balanced. Our schedule is reasonable, and our kids are well-behaved. No one says that. Everyone says, dude, things are crazy busy. Man, I'm trying to keep my head above water. And this is a theme that we visit a lot on Wednesday nights when as we talk through things, but I don't get the general sense that the people that the Lord has in my life are people who don't struggle with the same things. What I get the general sense of is that whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you do not have kids, whether you have a full-time job, whether you have a part-time job, I'm, I hear this general voice that says, things are crazy. Things are so busy. There's so much to do. I'm always behind. Thankfully, the Lord used these observations that I had to bring me um, to a point of repentance in some particular things. And one of the things that I learned about repentance is that it's very relational. Uh, when I think in terms of repentance, I think, oh, well, I'm going to stop doing these stupid things. I'm going to quit being lazy. I'm going to stop moving towards more recreation and less structure. Uh, what I found is that the point of repentance is very, very relational because you're, it's about God saying, turn from that so you can be closer to me. And so the Lord led me to repentance in some things. He led me to restructure some of my priorities. And he led me to just be more, honesty about, more honest about my tendencies. Um, my tendencies are not of the most spiritual and upright nature. If I just let things kind of go in an undisciplined manner, it's, it's just normal, normal human fleshly stuff. Um, rest and more rest as opposed to rest for the purpose of growth. So now that I've kicked it off on a high note and told you just how crummy of a pastor I am on my sabbatical, um, I, I want you to know that I, I'm really thankful for the time that, that happened because it was a week, it was a month of travel, and then it was about two weeks once we got back that I realized, oh dang, I can't go two months like this. Something's got to give. And I already had some books lined up that I was wanting to read, and two books that I read I'm going to introduce you tonight um, while, while I was, that I studied on sabbatical. One is Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. If, uh, raise your hand if you read this. Anyone in here read it? I figure a few of you probably have. It says it's a mercifully short book about a really big problem, and that's a really great subtitle. This was written last year. This is the 20th anniversary edition, and I think it's a few years old, on Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I had already planned to study discipline and study some of the dynamics in these two books, um, but I didn't plan on that two-week season where God showed me just how bad I needed to study the, the content of these two books. Crazy busy, think of it in terms of explaining the problem of just this frantic lifestyle that we have that is unnecessary. And think of Celebration of Discipline as a really wonderful biblical solution to this problem. So we're going to talk more about it. This outlines the disciplines, and this will actually be, Celebration of Discipline is going to be the structure and sort of the outline that I use to teach through. Um, we're going to cover a total of 12 disciplines, and when we get to simplicity, I'm probably going to spend at least three weeks on that. And so there are, um, we're going to go through this book, we're going to work through it, we're going to go to the Word and consider how all of this works together. And, and I'm going to cite some things from this book, Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung, 
and Celebration of Discipline are two books that really helped me to work through this dynamic that I saw in my life and this dynamic that I saw in a lot of your lives. Turn to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, verse 20. Do you all have any questions about what I, th- that little intro that I just did? Is there any, any points that need clarification? Everybody feeling at least a little convicted, maybe, that there's some work to be done? No. <laughs> All right, Isaiah 57.20 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and, and dirt. Does anybody else have another translation that, that words it a little differently? What's yours say? But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, mm. whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Mm. When it cannot rest. Does anyone else have another version? So, it's a short verse, and it falls in the middle of a, of a very weighty book, but I just want us to look at this verse just for a few minutes. What does this reveal about God's perspective on the ways of the wicked? There's no rest. Turmoil and dysfunction of every kind. What else? Mm-hmm. It's constant. Yeah. Where there's turmoil, it's constant turmoil. Where there's unrest, it's constant unrest. Have you ever been to the beach, seen the waves, where you're looking for shells in that shallow, clear water, and then when the next wave comes in, that one shell you were going to try to pick up, it goes away because of all the mire and all the dirtiness of the water. That's what it does. And what God's doing here is comparing the life of the wicked to those waves. That It's what they do. You can't fault the wave necessarily, but it's different for the wicked person. You're, he's saying that's what the wicked person does. There's this incessant, never-ending confusion, lack of clarity, lack of rest, lack of quiet that is just perpetual. Yeah, a consequence of wickedness. And, and even deeper than just a consequence, but a, it's their way. It's the way of life. It's the way that they move. The wicked move in a manner that is just constantly lacking in rest, lacking in quiet, and lacking in order, and lacking in clarity. They're consistent, Um, not quiet, not restful, muddy, confusing, and unclear. So that's what God tells us about the way of the wicked. What does this reveal about God's expectation for his children who who should not be wicked? Okay, shouldn't be mire flying everywhere all the time. 
calm. There should be order. Yeah, I mean, Scripture says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. So by that very nature, we can say, this doesn't mean that nothing crazy and out of whack happens in the lives of believers. It means that there's a consistency and a constancy in your movement that allows when those things happen, it doesn't just have to be frantic, madness, confusion, um, lack of clarity, lack of direction. There is an order in place that keeps that from happening. It's not supposed to be a life of unrest for God's children. Plain and simple. We have to hear that tonight. It's not supposed to be a life of unrest. It's not supposed to be a life of confusion. It's not supposed to be a life of noise. These are signs of wickedness. I I want us to just honestly sit with that for a moment. It's signs of wickedness that point to this frantic disorder where there's never anything in its place and there's never a consistency where you can center down on Christ. Um, if it's just always the tail wagging the dog and having to react to circumstances and, and it's always disorder, as a believer, God wants you to hear. He calls that the wicked way. And so we, gotta, we have to sit with that for a moment. And then what we need to do is consider what we're actually talking about. So my question for you is what are the things that make up the noise and the confusion and the lack of rest? What are the actual things? We've spoken in symbolic and metaphorical terms so far. What are the actual things that cause the, the unrest and the noise and the confusion? Poor handling of conflict. Or you could just say conflict. Yeah. I wish one of them would ring right now. It would be so perfect. Everyone would shame you. You'd be banished from the worship center. Worship of self. Worship of self. Can you explain that a little bit more? That's a a wonderful answer. I just want to see if you can. What else makes up the noise? Yeah. Yeah, it's not just bad, evil, wicked, sinful, worldly stuff. Sometimes it's just responsibilities. <laughs> Sometimes the stuff you got to get done, the bills got to get paid. The kids got to eat most days and stuff. And so the, the, there's a lot of things that cause the noise, and not all of it's bad. What are some other things? I really want to explore this for just a minute. Yep. Yes. Any litany of extracurricular activities. Are extracurricular activities the devil? Absolutely not. But can they cause a whole lot of noise and craziness? Yeah, they absolutely can. 
yeah, it's overload, a thousand decisions that make up your own little kingdom, that I decided that channel, I decided that meal, I decided that color of outfit, you name it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a futility in judging the weather that is so funny to me. Like, if it's cold, gosh, wish it was warmer. And then when it's warm, it's too warm, and you wish it was colder. And you're actually talking about how miserable it's going to be when it's warm while it's cold. And then you reverse it when it does the other. And it's just like, like I hear that. I heard the weatherman do it. I'm like, no, you're an objective person. You just tell me what it's going to be. Don't tell me how you feel about it or how I'm supposed to feel about it. You just tell me what the temperature is going to be. You're supposed to be objective. You're not supposed to put your emotions in this. And so I'm sitting there looking at that. I'm thinking, man, we, we can be so utterly ridiculous in, in what we think about how God decided the weather was going to be. And, uh, but it's that, it's, there's an arrogance of opinion. I mean, we, if you ask, we could probably give an opinion on just about anything. You also got to think the noise uh, too comes from us not being able to say no. Yes. Oh, yeah, we're going to spend some time on that. There's, he call, there's uh, in his book, he talks about prioritizing and posterioritizing. Like, what, what goes on the end of the list? What are you going to say no to until you just absolutely can't say, you know, no anymore? We all have different solutions. I was so overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> I was so overwhelmed that this is what I'm now going to have to do yeah. to take care of all of this. Yep. So then, literally, I go work out, I come home. It's only been an hour. And I'm talking to my mother in law, praying that she's available. And Clay comes out and she goes, Oh, well, I'm late. That trip got canceled. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, I just cried over nothing and stressed out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, My worries are gone. Yeah. the worst. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I know what you're saying. <laughs> oh, I get it. I wish I didn't, but I do. Yeah. 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 I was convicted when we were on sabbatical. I'm like, I don't have a dang job. And well, we've got this dinner on Sunday night. We've always got ballet on Monday. We've always got DI and soccer on Tuesday. Well, and then there's Wednesday nights, which are a little more optional now. But then we have Thursday night life groups, which oddly were more optional on sabbatical than off sabbatical. We already struggle with it. And it's like, you don't have a job right now. But it's still that just absolutely frantic pace. So in his book, the young, he, he states that busyness ruins our joy, robs our hearts, and covers up the rot in our souls. It ruins our joy, it robs our hearts, and it covers up the rot in our souls. And he says, for most of us, it isn't heresy or rank apostasy that will derail our profession of faith. It's all the worries of life. That's a sober comment that needs to be soberly received. 
for most of us, it isn't heresy or rank apostasy that will derail our profession of faith. It's all the worries of life. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There, there is no food. We're going to starve. Oh, I hate this food that you blessed me with from the sky. <laughs> All of this meat. Yeah. Mark 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 18 says, um, this is the, the parable of the, the sower and the seed and the soil. And in 18 it says, and others, other seeds, are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I think a lot of times as Christians, we read the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils and we're like, yep, stinks for those people. Yep, stinks for those people. Yep, stinks for those people. And then we just kind of jump to this conclusion that, thank God, we are good seed and good soil. And I hope it's true that, that, that we're good seed and good soil, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pause and say, hold on a minute. There's seed that is sown that lands among thorns. They hear the word. They were here on Sunday. They were here on Wednesday. They may have even re-listened to it online. They may have podcasts that they're going to all the time. It may be the only thing that plays in their car. You hear the word. But what is it that shows out? The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself and ask, is anything currently choking out the word in my life? That's something we need to do to prepare for this study on spiritual disciplines. Is there anything particular? I'm not just talking in vague terms and generalities. Is there anything in particular that's choking out the word in my life? And if so, what is it? Make a list. What is it? DeYoung continues in his book. He says, Jesus knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Jesus knows what he's what he's talking about when he talks about the impact of, the, of culture and world and stresses on human flesh that, that he created. He knows what he's talking about. As much as we pray against the devil, which is another part of that parable, and as much as we pray for the persecuted church, which is another part of the parable and things we should pray for. These are things that choke out. Persecution chokes out the word. The devil chokes out the word. He notes that in Jesus' thinking, the greater threat to the gospel is sheer exhaustion. You may agree with what he says. You may not agree with what he says. But just consider it. Sheer exhaustion. Busyness. Here, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things kills more Christians than bullets. The seed of God's word won't grow to fruitfulness without pruning for rest, quiet, and calm. I mentioned make a list of the things, the noise, the things that 
are choked out, the things that are doing the choking out, the things that um, cause the confusion, the things that cause even the franticness. I don't even know if that's a word, but we'll go with it. As we make the list of what chokes out the word, I think that some of what we'll find is not just a bunch of things that we can get rid of, like children and work. Like sometimes the frantic nature of, of our pace of life comes because we have kids or because we have a job or comes because there's expectations because we succeeded in something and now there's more expectations because you succeeded in something. You can't just say, all right, good point, Scott, good point, Jesus in your parable. Um, I'll get rid of the kids, I guess, and the job and we'll, we'll really focus on just being spiritual. That's, that's illogical. It's an impossibility. A lot of what's on your list may be things you can't get rid of and you shouldn't get rid of. So what, what I'm getting at is that we need good seed to get into good soil is what this parable is referring to. It's not a matter of just unloading some things. There are things we unload. Man, in Hebrews, that there's two weights. There's the weight of sin and then there's just the weight of other things. A lot of it's cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. There are some things you can get rid of there, but some of the things in our daily life that we would attribute the craziness to, we shouldn't get rid of. So what we need to do is rather than getting rid of that, we need good seed to get into good soil, and this is what the spiritual disciplines are all about. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about the spiritual disciplines, getting good seed into good soil. The disorder of daily life is a product of uh, the innermost places of the heart. You think of Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We also know that out of the overflow of the heart, we do things. Out of the overflow of the heart, we make decisions. You can't say, I didn't mean what I said. You can say, I didn't mean for you to hear what I said. <laughs> because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and we make decisions and we move. And so um, things are not the way they're supposed to be because we're not the way we're supposed to be. It's not all the fault of external matters. We can't look at the, way, the craziness of things and just say, well, I was born in the late 1900s and that's just the way it's going to be. No, Christ gives you other options and it doesn't have to be that way. In short, you do have a biblical means by which you can be changed. You can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You can grow in holiness. Other people can be transformed by the renewal of their mind. Other people can grow in holiness. One, of the, one thing that I see kind of just rampant in general in churches is just this cynicism that's like people stink and no one changes. And that's not gospel. That's not truth. We should not be people who look at ourselves and say, well, I'm just a loser and it's never going to be better. We shouldn't do that. We should have some hope because of what Christ did. And we shouldn't look at others and do the same thing. I mean, I remember early on in ministry, when I was in my early 20s, like a big idiot. I didn't know anything. I thought I knew everything. And, and I said, oh, I love ministry if it wasn't for the people. You idiot. People change. People are, that, that's, you are to spend and be spent gladly on the souls of God's children. You are to do everything you can to put the interests of others before your own interests. 
You're not going to do that well if you're cynical and you think that people can't actually change. So the beauty of what we're seeing here is that there is a problem. There's a problem of this frantic pace of life where we're utterly distracted. We're not loving each other the right way. We're not serving each other the right way. We're not serving our families well by allowing this perpetual state of craziness. But the cool, wonderful good news of the gospel is that you can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. People do change because God changes them. And there's a way that he changes them. The spiritual disciplines are the way in which God does a lot of work in the life of his children. It's not the kind of change that comes quickly. There's a guy named Donald Coggin says, I go through life as a transient on his way to eternity, made in the image of God, but with that image debased, needing to be taught how to meditate, how to worship, and how to think. Do you believe that? As we're sitting here talking about these things tonight, do you believe that you need to be taught how to think by God through a process? Do you believe that you need to be taught how to worship by God through a process? Do you need, believe that you need to be taught how to pray, how to meditate, and how to serve through a process that is very biblical? I remember the first time, I think it's in Titus, where it's the older women teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Something like that. I just thought, oh, that's so weird. Like, the, like who's going to accept that? Like, what young woman is like, where's the older woman who's going to teach me how to love my husband and children? But what it implies is it can be taught. It can be taught. The, that way of love can be taught. And so here in the scriptures, it can be taught, it can be received, and you can actually be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Turn to Galatians 6. There's so much hope in this. I have such a tendency to be sort of cynical and expecting not the best, maybe not the worst, but definitely not the best. And, and there's hope in this for, for progress that can be made for us and for those that we're walking with. Galatians 6, 8. Kind of piggybacking on what Jesus has already said. And th these are verses that you know. I just want to allow these verses to really press on just the rawness of our humanity and, and not read over them hoping that maybe that doesn't apply to us. It says in, in Galatians 6, 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. Foster in his book says, the spiritual disciplines are a way of sowing to the spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where he can work within us and transform us. All of the disciplines that we're talking about by themselves can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. More particularly, the disciplines only get us to the place where God can transform us. In themselves, they're, they're nothing. Just because you've studied it doesn't mean you've done it. Just because you're beginning to apply it doesn't mean that the discipline itself did anything. The disciplines get us to a place where God speaks to us. He warns us. He encourages us. He strengthens us. He blesses us. He keeps us from moving in one manner and helps us to move in another. And a lot of times that's counter to what our flesh wants. It gets us to the place where God does work on us. They're God's means of grace. 
the inner righteousness we seek is not something that's poured on our heads. I think sometimes we have that view where it's like, I'm praying for patience, Lord, just pour it out and I'll be good. I'm praying for steadfastness, Lord, so that I'm not so wobbly when it comes to this particular issue. Just pour it out and it'll be good. Has that ever happened? I mean, maybe in really rare circumstances would God just grant you a completely different character trait that you haven't developed at all. He's not below that. I've seen him change people in amazing ways. I've seen a lot of change in my own life that I never could have expected. But usually, usually it's through a process where there's accountability, where there's working to put sin to death, and where there's working to put particular disciplines in place. So, they're God's means of grace. The inner righteousness we seek is not something that's poured on our heads. God has ordained the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means by which we place ourselves where he can bless us. And what we're going to refer to this as is the path of disciplined grace. Grace is free. It's freely given. It's freely received. But these disciplines put us in a place that we're going to call the path of disciplined grace because we want to be changed by God. And that happens in a relationship. Christ-likeness happens when you're pursuing Christ, not when you're just pursuing Christ-likeness. This is all so very relational. Turn to Romans 14, 17. Romans 14, 17. So if you haven't caught on, tonight we're just beginning something. We're not looking at anything in particular, but we're preparing to look at a lot of things in particular. Romans 14, 17. says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How does this explanation of life differ from what we read in Isaiah 57, 20? How does it differ? Isaiah 57, 20 was the waves verse in the mire. There's righteousness and peace. That's what, that's what God's kingdom is about. If, if you're in a place where you feel like righteousness is, on a, is I can't get any better at things and, and I don't have any peace about anything, I want you to know you can. That's what God's kingdom is about. How else is it different? Yeah, that's a huge difference. I want you all to know a, a huge purpose in all the spiritual disciplines is joy. And I'm saying it unashamedly as we begin. I hope you find more joy in this process than you ever expected. Because God says, come and taste and see that I'm good. He wants you to enjoy. And it's not some false just happiness that is a little bit above what the world has to offer. It's an otherworldly joy that, that will find you in the weirdest places. The places where you would normally be just unseated and and uncomfortable and anxious, you'll find joy in places like that. that. That's something that the disciplines will help us with. So I want us to see that when we read that the for, king, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, think about you reap what you sow. If we sow to the Spirit, we will from the Spirit receive wonderful things. If we sow to the flesh, we will from the flesh receive death. I really want us, as we're studying these spiritual disciplines, to consider, are we really sowing to the Spirit? What part of your day did you actually sow to the Spirit? Not just, 
hoping that you're moving in a mode that's mostly sowing to the Spirit, but saying, what am I doing with my time? Am I actually sitting, sitting down and, and doing things like meditating on the Word? It's different than prayer, and it's different than just reading the Word. It's, and it takes time. There's no way to rush it. Things like fasting are incredibly foreign to us. It seems weird. The whole chapter in this book on prayer, I, I, I felt like a crazy person when I was done reading it. I was like, I think he's making too many assumptions. I, I was, it was so otherworldly to me the way he was speaking. Now, there are some things I disagree with, and I just won't teach those things. But in general, what I think we're going to engage is going to feel different. But, it, but it's in these things that, that um, there's liberation. Um, uh, tonight's study is titled The Door to Liberation because the purpose of the disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. You mentioned self-interest earlier. If our world just revolves around what we think will make us happy, what we can, what we can get our hands on, and then not thinking about how we got to maintain it, um, what we want, this... These disciplines are the, the door to, the, to liberation from the stifling slavery of self-interest and the stifling slavery of fear. Because what we'll find is sometimes we can try to use these disciplines to control other people. And if they're not doing what we think they need to be doing, then we have fear of losing control over them. And it's a big manipulation game. And it most often happens with our children, which we'll engage later. We will explore this more later. I actually wrote that in my notes. That's funny. I'm thinking. But ultimately, this is a freedom that comes from a relationship with Christ. This is all relational. Remember Hebrews 12, that our goal is not to just pursue Christ-likeness, but to pursue Christ. And it's in pursuing Christ that Christ-likeness will be found. It's through these spiritual disciplines that, that that holiness and that steadiness and that being centered on Christ in all circumstances. When, when there is frantic craziness, we're not frantic and crazy with it. And that only happens in a very deep relationship with the Lord. The point of repentance and the point of discipline is very, very relational. What we're aiming to do is remove that which hinders our walk with Christ and focus on that which enables and nourishes and helps our walk with Christ. The primary requirement that we're going to need as we begin this journey is a longing after God. That's what I'm going to be praying for each week as we prepare that with these disciplines, we would be increasing in our longing after God, our desire to be with God, not just eternally, yes, eternally, but also here in just the, the daily craziness where we're with him and we're steady and we're grounded and we're not tossed to and fro by circumstances and by every wind and wave of doctrine, but we're, we're truly being transformed by the renewal of our minds as we do those things. So I want to close with just an overview of what we're actually going to be studying because you, you may at this point be, okay, we're right at seven. What are spiritual disciplines? Like you might be, you haven't mentioned any other than prayer and, and, and reading the word. So um, there's three categories that we're going to look at of disciplines. Inward, outward, and corporate. There's three categories of disciplines. The inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the corporate disciplines. A lot of times we make the mistake of when we think about disciplines, we just think of personal me stuff. I got, I got some stuff I got to work on. And it is, you're not working on it properly if you're not doing so with other people and with community. And we'll talk more about that later. But there's inward, outward, and corporate. The inward disciplines, meditation is where we're going next week. Not Eastern mysticism meditation, but a filling of the mind rather than an emptying of it. We're going to talk about that next week. Prayer is the other inward meditation. Fasting, 
and study. Those are the disciplines, the inward disciplines we're going to talk about. The outward disciplines are simplicity, which we're going to spend a lot of wonderful time on. It's funny that simplicity is what we're going to spend the most time on. I get it. Um, it should be the shortest study, right? Simple. Um, solitude. Some of y'all are terrified of solitude. Don't leave me alone with my thoughts. I will go crazy. Some of us have that sense. Maybe I'm alone in it, whatever. <laughs> but solitude is something that is going to be, it's going to take a lot of work for us to begin to adopt it and move in it as a discipline. Submission is an outward discipline. We're going to talk about contentment and what a rare jewel it is according to Jeremiah Burroughs. And service is an outward discipline. And then our corporate disciplines are confession, which no one likes, worship, uh, guidance, and finally celebration. The, the, point, the title of his book is Celebration of Discipline. Because you may be thinking, that list sounds like a drudgery. That list sounds like you have got planned for us the worst possible study because all it's going to do is talk about what I'm not good at. There's celebration of joy. Joy is the keynote, the, the thread that runs through every discipline is joy. And so um, our last one that we'll end with is going to be celebration. Um, are there any questions? So that's a, I'm really glad you asked that. You don't need this or anything to, to be a part of this study. I'm teaching it in a way where you don't need any external resources outside of your Bible. Now, if you want to, I encourage you to read this and to read this. And, and really, I wish that everybody would get this book and work through it together and read it each week in preparation for our Wednesdays in the same way that you're reading Hebrews every week in preparation for Sunday. That's what I wish would happen. But we need work on discipline, so maybe that won't happen. So, um, <laughs> so this, this is a really, really good book. They're both wonderful. Um, I would encourage you to get it if you can. We do have a couple of extra copies. If you're thinking, I really want one, but I genuinely can't afford one right now, let me know, and we'll get you one. But you don't need anything outside of your word and a good notebook to prepare. Um, one way that I would prepare for the upcoming studies is to pray that you would just be very, very honest about where you're at and that you would be willing to allow the Lord to do that hard work of transformation. Um, are there any other questions? Yeah, all of this is a process of sanctification. Sanctification being defined as a process in which you are made more holy. And that's why I was wanting to stress this. Not just pour it out on your head. I mean, you're forgiven. You, you, and if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. He has done the work. Now we need to stay on the disciplined path of grace because that, that's how we grow in Christ's likeness because that's how we're moving toward Christ. We can't just assume that we can sow to the flesh and reap from the Spirit. So yeah, that's a good point. Sorry, I went over by a minute. Um, I, I want to end with Romans 12 because I, I feel like we can't say it enough, so I'll, I'll read this and then we'll pray. 
Romans 12, as we prepare for this, this is what I'm hoping for. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord, as we prepare to uh, kind of begin this journey together and work on spiritual disciplines, um, my hope is that we would do so as worshipers who are presenting our, our entire being to you, truly believing that we can change, truly believing that we can be transformed by the renewal of our minds, and truly believing that there is more joy in store, even when circumstances are not particularly joyful. Lord, I, I know that um, the people in this room were, were brothers and sisters, and there are some very real trials that are going on. There's very real heartache. There's, there's addictions. There are tendencies. There is indwelling sin that is choking some of us. There, is, there are distractions that are so difficult for us. There are, uh, there's no shortage of things we can spend our time on. And so my hope is that we wouldn't just carve out enough time to come to a Wednesday night study, but that we would really commit to considering these disciplines and how we can apply them. And I, I, I'm so eager for those moments where we begin to walk in them and we see this change inwardly that will inevitably be seen outwardly as, as, as we love each other and walk together and serve together. Lord, um, we pray that your will would be done in all things and that we would be thankful in all circumstances, knowing how to be brought high and be brought low, um, knowing contentment and eager to be rid of anything that would break our relationship with you. We love you, Lord. We are, we are thankful for the grace you give us, and I pray that we would be good stewards of that grace. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.